Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Rewind Design. This is officially, I think, the 10th story, the 10th episode that I have recorded. So I'm so excited. Since May of 2022 this year, I really dove deep into this project, and in turn, I've met so many amazing cottagers and contractors and lovers of cottage country in general. So this is a big milestone for me to have 10 uh, episodes being released. So I am so excited for this one, Annie's Island on Georgian Bay. And yes, on today's episode, we have a 94-year-old Anne and joined with her, we have her daughter and her son. So you'll be listening to a conversation between the four of us. We're sat at their Georgian Bay Island cottage and we're going to dive deep into so many different things, which I'm smiling right now thinking about it because I've just re-listened to our conversation. I'm just like, I'm just so amazed by all the things that have happened in Anne's life. So, You're going to find out that Anne lived in many different places around the world, including the Arctic, for an entire year. And you're also going to find out that when they purchased their island cottage on Georgian Bay, why there was just magically a big yellow school bus sitting on the shoreline um, in the 1950s. You're also going to find out and hear about the price that they bought their island at, which um, thinking about it now in 2022 is pretty incredible. And the availability of islands back in the 50s for sale with crown land was also shocking (laughs) and amazing. And we will also hear about um, the architect who designed their cottage, which is uh, very different from many other Georgian Bay Island properties because I think this architect only did this one island and you'll see his influence from Frank Lloyd Wright who I think he had some sort of connection with and the style of the cottage is very very different than what you see out on the bay with um, kind of a Japanese style roof which Bruce will explain the design of because it's very interesting and the whole construction of the cottage itself took I think an entire summer and a lot of manpower which all of the family was involved in (laughs) so so we'll get more into the actual architecture of the cottage because it is so fascinating the gist of it is it is a post and beam structure and it is primarily composed of glass doors and windows but the most unique feature of the cottage is that it has like this pagoda like roof which is really composed of these four hyperbolic paraboloids which bruce will you know get into and explain the interior is super open it doesn't have any bearing walls And there's this large opening between the first and second floors looking up into what is kind of the attic and sleeping space. And the opening is square and it is set to about 45 degrees to the main floor plan. And it creates this four triangular loft spaces in each corner. So that's, I know, a lot of detail, but I will also be posting... Uh, photos of this cottage on the blog portion of the podcast at rewinddesign.ca and you'll be able to find these photos under episode number 10, Annie's Cottage or Bus Island. So you can take a look at those photos there, which I will share the architectural plan, the original architectural plan of the architect, 
that is actually pinned up to a wall on the cottage. So it's very interesting if you're a design lover to see this as well. I hope you enjoy this episode and really connect with Anne and her story and the love that she has for her Georgian Bay Island and cottage country. Thank you so much for listening. Without further ado, we're just going to jump right into our conversation. And thank you again so much for taking the time to listen. And if you would like more information and more notification of cottage country stories, then you can tune into my Instagram at rewinddesign.interiors. And you can check out my Facebook page with the same name. Or you can always send me an email because I'm always looking for more cottage country stories to share. So you can send me an email at k-a-t-y, that's katie, at rewinddesign.ca. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Oh, and one more important thing I'd like to note is uh, (laughs) the last 10 episodes of this podcast I have been doing every two weeks, but I found it a little bit difficult to keep up and be able to do a full release episode every two weeks. So I am reducing my time to, or I guess increasing the time between episodes to three weeks to keep my sanity a little bit between my full-time interior design job and this hobby podcast. So look out for this episode every three weeks on Mondays. Okay, thank you so much. I just wanted to say a big thank you for being involved in the podcast. It means a lot for me to share your story and be so open and willing to express this. And I'm just really excited to capture these stories and share them with people. So just a big thank you to start off. Um, So kind of the first question I'd like for you, Anne, is just to maybe talk a little bit about you and yourself and um, where you're from. Well, I was born in Toronto in 1928, the youngest of five children. And my father's had the majority shares in a meat packing company called the Hoyt Packing Company, which was centered in Stratford, but uh, gave us a very comfortable living. So I was lived in a big house in Rosedale, went to Whitney Public School, and then Branksome Hall. Oh, you went to Branksome Hall? My sister taught there. Well, anyway, so I went to Branksome for five years, and I went to the Ontario College of Art mm-hmm. when I got married. And had Lynn and Bruce, and then I got unmarried <laughs> and worked for five years at Henry Burks and Sons, the jewelers, in the window display department. Okay. Then I re- got married again and had one other child called Tim. And uh, then in my middle age, about 45, I went back to school. I went to George Brown College and took through a three year jury arts course. Wow. And graduated. Actually, the only time I ever wanted to go to school in my whole life. <laughs> and so you enjoyed going to George Brown. And, well, I just loved it because I was finally doing something I really wanted to do. For sure. So I uh, then, after I graduated, I taught there part-time, Con Ed, for 33 years, I think until I was 83. Oh. And I finally couldn't see well enough. <laughs> I was trying to teach my class how to saw in a straight line and realized I couldn't see the line. Right. <laughs> so I figured it was time to quit. But uh, So I taught there for 33 years and I've... Spent many happy years making jewelry, which you can see. I was going to say you're up. wearing some beautiful pieces. Did you but, make uh, all of the ones that you're wearing now? Yeah. Wow. So I love doing that. But now, unfortunately, my eyesight is, uh, I'm now legally blind at 94. So I really cannot see to make jewelry anymore. Yeah. But I had a really wonderful creative life and I've had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I've traveled. I spent a year traveling around Europe and a year in the Arctic. And a year in Mexico, and 
Where else have I spent a year? I have a feeling I was somewhere else, but I can't remember. <laughs> uh-huh. I think that was it, basically it. I think that was basically it. Yeah. yeah. And were you traveling for your profession? For No, 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 no. I, I spent the year in Europe with my second husband because he had a sabbatical. Oh, okay. And, so, and his mother also had a small hotel on the Costa Brava in uh, Spain, the north of Spain. So, uh, But you did spend, uh, you were in the Arctic related to jewelry you were teaching. I was managing the Inuit Jewelry Manufacturing Company for the Department of Economic Development of the Northwest Territories, is what wow. I ostensibly was doing. Wow. What I was really doing, I have never had any idea. But <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't think, think, not sure anybody else did either. But most people feel like that going through life, I think. <laughs> well, what I, am I doing? Yeah, what am I doing? That's wonderful. So, yeah, the year in Mexico was great because... Uh, Bruce and Tim. Bruce was nineteen and Tim was nine, I guess, or eighteen and eight, or whatever so we were when we drove down. Yeah. And um, I spent really a year going to the Instituto Allende, which is an art school, <coughs> in San Miguel de Allende, in the middle of Mexico. It was a fabulous school at the time. Mm-hmm. So I took bronze casting and lithography and life drawing and jewelry and. That was pretty well it. Then Bruce was there for six months. Wow. Mm-hmm. What, what were you doing there when you visited? Well, I once I saw what a nice school Mom was enrolled in. I thought, well, <laughs> I, I should take something there because uh, I, you know, uh, was footloose and fancy free at the time. Nice. So I studied photography, and that has sort of changed my life altogether. It's gotten me sort of jobs, which then led to my career. Yeah. And I'm still a semi-professional photographer. Uh, I'll up have to, this, to get tips time. from you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, and it was wonderful because the the school itself was everything was quite basic. You know, all the equipment they had was rather antique. Mm-hmm. The teachers were really excellent, <clears throat> and it was it was a great time. Except I did also attempt to study Spanish there, and sadly, this teacher was an old battle axe. And I thought, wait a second, this reminds me of high school. <laughs> so I, I dropped out of that, that's but so I good. kept going with photography, and it was it was. Well, a lot you of took fun. leather at one point. Yeah, that's right. Some leather work as yeah. well, and you know, I mean, they're real, just fun little courses. Yeah. Um, and then I think all my real education was on the streets. Yep, <laughs> most that's how you learn most things is in real life situations, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, that's so neat. So that was a great year. That yeah. Lynn, Lynn, and that year you were out west. Mm-hmm. In, the in Vancouver, Victoria. Yeah. Victoria, was Victoria? Uh, at different times, yes. I thought you were in the printing press. Uh, I was that too. I was, a number of things went on that couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's wonderful. That's that's. I mean, very brief description of yeah. your life in general. But right. you grew up in Rosedale, you said, right? Uh, and yes, I managed to live in that house, Dad's house, for thirty-two years, which I thought was quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Considering. <laughs> I didn't tell Father died, I guess, because what happened is when my first marriage broke up, I came back to live in the house with my two kids because it was a creepy house. And mother and father didn't, you know, care, or at least they were kind enough to welcome me home. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's where Lynn and Bruce were brought up until they were 10 and 12. Okay. And then in the did, same house. Then did you stay in Toronto? Well, the then rest when of the time? dad died, we had to sell the house because it had to be divided between five of us. Of course, yeah. So, but I was left enough money to buy another house. Mm hmm. Not as big, of course, but mm -hmm. uh, just a couple of blocks away. So well, Rose still in Rosedale. beautiful area. I love yeah. Rosedale. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so did we. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the lasted, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I would sort of. Uh, so then I moved into a smaller house after a while. Then, it's, and then now Lynn and I have sharing a house. I have two apartments, mm -hmm. and Lynn lives in the upstairs one, and I live in the downstairs one. Okay, like over, still to this day, like okay, over yeah. around Central Tech. I don't know if you know where that Central is. Central Tech. I think my Remember sister also did a placement there. Really? Oh. I think so. Hey, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. well. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, oh. What is it? It's, oh, here. It's on your leg now here. I think it's oh, a grasshopper. Yeah. Oh, uh, is that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a cricket? Probably a cricket, oh. yeah. Well, I mean, that. do you care if it's in here? Yeah, we could, I could try and see. Yeah, it is a cricket. Uh, oh, it's a cricket. I don't know how they come. <laughs> why they come in here particularly? Did it jump right on your head? It did. Oh, yeah, it was right on my head. <laughs> like, probably, what is that? Uh, happily, I didn't get it. Because crickets are... Yeah, good luck. Good luck in the house, I understand. They are, mm -hmm. I mean, of all the insects, I don't mind crickets. They make nice noise. Right. Mm -hmm. they yeah. They're, they're the good heart. eating, too. Really? Yes. What? What? We should have kept them. Yeah. <laughs> good eating. <laughs> fried them up. Yeah, fried crickets. Oh. Yeah, they're excellent. Breakfast. Yeah. Wow. Just jumped out the door. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, that's a good that's a good synopsis. I mean, I'm sure there's so many more things you could oh. tell me, but um, so I guess like the next step in your history is um, when was the first time you came up to Georgian Bay, and how did you discover the oh. area? Well, I went to the art college and mm -hmm. made friends with a woman called Gladys Smith. Gladys was 12 years older than me, but she had been offered some art lessons by when she and her husband got married, and she didn't get married till she was in her 30s. And Odie said, Glad, would you like maybe a nice set of luggage or perhaps some art lessons or something? And she <laughs> said, oh, Odie, I'd love some art lessons. And she went down, signed up for three years at the Interior College of Art, graduated cum laude, but I don't think he ever really saw her again after that. <laughs> but, uh, but anyhow, in the 50s, she originally came to Amanda, which is mm -hmm. that big island? Very over there. big island, yeah. And uh, because it had it had a, uh, a lodge, kind of, you know, very mm -hmm. simple, basic. But she used to come up there and, and sketch around, you know, out on a canoe and stuff. She was originally from Peterborough and a, very much of an athlete, an outdoor girl. So she adored it up here, and she bought Sanger Island, which was across from Amanda, because it came up for sale. And once she had bought that, then I used to start to come to visit her in the middle of the 50s. And, of course, I fell madly in love with George Bay. Yep. But she said to me, you know, if you are interested in buying any property up here, Anne, you've got to do it in the next year. This is 1959 because she said Crown Land is closing down in 1960 and there won't be any more Crown Land. And you could still get islands as Crown Land in those days. So I remember going home to my espoused and saying, are you serious about getting married? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, good, we're buying an island. <laughs> so for $180, I bought this island. $180. It was $150 an acre, crown mm. land. Yep. And this was 1.3 acres. So it was $180. 
and I think I had to pay another hundred and fifty for the appointment for the uh, surveil mm-hmm. and then uh, but the the island itself didn't have anything on it or it had a very bright orange bus oh yes and it was <laughs> called the Roseland bus line and uh, people I think it was known as bus island because people going along the U channel would look over and see this bright orange bus but um and so the bus was there because someone was living in it the original, right? it was originally owned by a, a man and his wife but she apparently did not like it and they did not pay their taxes, which must have been all of $15 a year or something. But they didn't pay them, so it reverted to the government, which is how we got it. Which it became Crown Land again. Yeah, we okay. just, just happened to walk in just in that small window of time. You know, I'm sure it would have gone like that. But we were just lucky. So, yeah, um, yeah so they, I guess, originally when they the former owners bought it, he must have had the bus brought out. Because the doors were still working, weren't they, Lynn? Oh, yes. It was a great bus. <laughs> it was a neat bus. That... And you wonder how it, how they, they must have barged it out here. Yes, they must have. Yeah, they must yeah. have, yeah. And it was the kind, it was so old that it, if you can sort of picture like a 1920s truck, mm-hmm. where you have the body and then the sort of the front engine part sort of sticks out from that. Yeah. That part was gone. Yeah. So the engine and the like headlights and the yeah. radiator part was somewhere else by that time. Right. So it was kind of just the body of the bus without uh, without the engine and the hood and yeah. they must like have that. I just I'm thinking they must have sold that part to someone else. Maybe it was still working but they just wanted the bus to live yeah, in. Maybe. Right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Good point. Maybe. Whatever. But so And it was did you say it was down over Yes, over just by down your, by our swimming, swimming rock, area. Basically that's right. Yeah. yeah, and it had two. I mean, I, I presume that he built a place where there's two two. You could sleep on either side of the aisle, and the um, so that's where I think. Did you and Christian live there for a while? I know Timothy. I rather, think you and you and uh, Tim slept in it. Bruce where? and I slept in it. And it was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, it was really the most fun <laughs> bus, but the nightmare the might. The nightmare part was simply that there were no screens and the mosquitoes were oh, okay. And you would have to keep the windows open. And we so, couldn't sleep yeah. in it. And, and even so, there were holes screen. everywhere, yeah. right? So. But that part wasn't fun. But the bus itself was a gas. Like, you could just open the door, like, with this silver yeah. uh, handle thing. Handles. And just for people listening, for reference, we're out on an island in Georgian Bay, at least 20-minute drive from the closest I think it's about 12, 12 miles from Point Pleasant Marina. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so th- the fact that there's a bright yellow or orange school bus on the island is... I just can't even imagine that. Like, that you'd be such a sight... Um, like a show for people to drive mm-hmm. by at that point. That's so crazy. Well, and it would have mm-hmm. had to come up from Perry Sound in those days. None of those marinas were where they are now. Mm-hmm. Our original marina was right in Perry Sound. Which was, would that have been? It was Anderson's. Oh, Anderson's. Okay, that's still called Anderson's. It is. Yeah, my boyfriend's still got a marina? There. Uh, so it's not serviceable. It doesn't have any services. They just have dock slips, but it's still called Anderson's. Mm. Is it really? Wow. Yeah. Originally, it also was the cold storage place. So mm. it was just not the greatest place to keep your boat. <laughs> no. But, but and it's kind of nice, like Point Pleasant and Glen Burnie and all the ones kind of yeah. are a little further down the a South Channel. Further. So mm-hmm. it, the boat ride's a little shorter. You're a bit well, it closer. means you don't have to go across the big sound. And yeah. And the first boat that we got... Can I tell this story? Sure. Uh, which I probably will get partially oh, wrong. Uh, was uh, <laughs> was another huge expense 
Um, cost as much as the island. Well, that's right. And so was, you think cost three hundred fifty bucks that bowl? Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was almost a showstopper right there. Yeah. Anyway, it was a twenty-three foot Port Carling Seabird. Wow, made in, Port Carling. made in Port Carling. That's right? where I work now. Uh huh. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. So there was a boatworks there, and it was an, an old uh, sort of a lap strake uh, plank, you know, mm-hmm. plank style yeah. wooden, wooden boat. Um, and it had a very small four-cylinder engine in it. Uh, and I swear the top speed of this thing was, you know, maybe 11, 12 miles an hour, something like that, full out. And, of course, you felt like the thing was going to shake itself to pieces. No. It didn't have the, the original. Well, it was it was fine. Yeah, it had sort of a split windshield originally, which was all of about that high. Yeah. And eventually that gave up the ghost. And so we replaced it with a wonderful plexiglass bigger windshield but that was the only shelter that you got from the elements so if it was raining or windy or anything you got wet yep. and man did we get wet sometimes i and it was probably a 45 minute ride at, at that point maybe yeah, an hour slow. well we had to go right across the sound, the sound right you were coming from so, very sound yeah, so yeah. it's at least 15 to 17 just, miles just to get yeah that, that's right we weren't going very fast yeah <laughs> But yeah. we're going. The marvelous thing about it is that any boat since I've had hits the wakes that go bang, bang, bang. This boat just went yeah. out right through. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's for sure. It was heavy then. Uh, it was very heavy, and the hull design wasn't uh, wasn't. It didn't go on step, right? Modern boats all sort of get up on step, and mm-hmm. so they kind of mm-hmm. literally they're they're on top of the water as they go. Mm-hmm. Not this thing. It's <laughs> like right, right through. Just like cut. Right uh, yeah, basically. So it was a nice riding boat, but it was a very old when we got it. And uh, after a year or two, we realized that the whole transom and much of the rear part of the boat was rotting away. And the thing leaked like you would not believe. Oh, my so always Later oh. on. Only yeah. beginning of the season. Well, at really bad. Like, yeah, any of these boats, of course, uh, when you first put them in water, if they're stored dry, mm-hmm. when you first put them in the water, all the wood has shrunk. And so there's gaps between every plank, and oh. so you have to bail like crazy. So, which was sadly ultimately the demise of the boat, because the marina, who will remain unnamed, uh, <laughs> put, put the boat in the water, set it out just at anchor. They didn't even put it, you know, on a on a dock Let or anything. Soak up. Yeah, and they and normally what you would do is you would actually put the boat in the water and then have the bow on the land somewhere, yeah. so so it couldn't really it go could anywhere. Sink, yeah. Anyway, they didn't do that foolishly, and uh, so my my I and some friends were coming up one time around 1970, was well, 69 maybe, and uh, we had been told, yeah, the boat's ready, we've got it out, blah blah blah. We arrive at about 10 o'clock at night. Look around, there's no boat. There is literally no boat. And we looked everywhere. I said, what do we do? And it was like the four of us in effectively a mini. Mm. And it was too late to go home. So we, the four of us, spent the night in the mini at the marina. And uh, when the office opened uh, and we said, where's our boat? They had no idea. And they eventually it was found on the bottom. And sadly, that was the end. I never got any compensation. They never even apologized. I was just going to ask, how did they? How did they uh, fix the problem? Uh, they, didn't. they didn't. They probably have a little clause that you sign when the, when you look after the uh, when we look after the boat for you. Read the fine print because if something happens, it's not our fault. I don't know whether that was the case. But that's really unfortunate. That's really unfortunate. Well, it was tragic because I do believe that boat belonged to my grandmother because my grandmother had a cottage in Port Carling, across the Port Carling. Oh. And you Where? could see it. You could see it from the dock, actually. Oh, literally across. I mean, if you were standing in the dock, Port Carling, you 
Yeah. See, it was right across. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think they bought it in 1877 or something. So it could have been... Uh, well, yes, and it was called the Queen Mary, and it was called the Queen Mary when we bought it, and her little boat was called the Queen Mary. And she lived in Port Carly, and I'll swear to God, it was the same bloody boat. Oh, yeah. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Could have been. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yes, I used to go to Port Carly when I was a little kid. Yeah. You know, dad's mother's place. Okay, so but. when you were a kid, your, sorry, was it your grandmother that had a place in Port Carly yes, then? Yes, my father's okay, mother. Okay, so... They were Stratford people. That's where okay. the meat pack company was. Got it. it. So, just like as a child, you would come up cottaging to the Muskoka. Yes, well, we come to visit, but actually, we had <gasps> I was, We went every summer until I was in my twenties to the Toronto Island. Oh, we, we okay. had a house, a big house on Ward's Island. Okay, sorry, there's and, a mosquito. Uh, okay, so you've done cottaging everywhere. <laughs> well, uh, the cottaging at the island was very civilized. I mean, come the end of. June, or the middle of June, actually, some trucks would come from the company, mm-hmm. the moving trucks, and in the attic, the attic of this house, we had many big slatted trunks, kind of, so all the linen to get packed, and the china, and the plants, and the goldfish, the children, and the cat, <laughs> oh, and the kids, yeah. everything got piled on these trucks and driven down to the Ward's Island Ferry. Wow. I'm not sure if they didn't go over on a barge, actually. Mm. And they go across and up the lagoon and unload it all at the foot of our cottage because we lived halfway between Ward's and Center. I don't know if you know the island at all. I've been a few times, and I I love the the feeling there. Well, Mm -hmm. we were on the boardwalk halfway. Okay. You get off Ward's Island anyway. So the lagoon was behind us. The lake was in front. And... uh, these barges that come up and load, load all this stuff. We'd be there from the middle of June till the middle of September. Wow. And, uh, and were you were you on a spot where you were kind of facing um, south, like uh, on the water? Or? We were, all the houses were in, the island was pretty narrow in part. I say literally the lagoon ran here, and the lake was here, and the island, the houses were, but they were great big, old, Victorian houses. So I think ours had... Six bedrooms or something. Wow. <laughs> Do you look out on the lake? And of course, yes. The um, yes, there was a big balcony off the second floor. Wow. Where you, where you could go, and I remember sleeping in one of the, in what used to be the guest room. This wonderful mahogany bed that went sort of like this. Oh wow! And we used to close kinds. We'd climb up to the top, leap off the top of the mattress. But I remember sleeping in that bed and watching the full moon come up. Over the lake. Wow. And what wow. I really, really loved about that place is your horizon was, I mean, you know, you had unbroken horizon from here to mm-hmm. here. Yeah, because you know? there's nothing obstructing the you view. Know, so mm-hmm. sky, I love. I always miss that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sorry. So that was... Sorry yes. to digress to your Toronto place <laughs> because <laughs> we're, we're sitting in your Georgian Bay Cottage. But yeah. um, do you know roughly what years that would have been? That yes, you, for 19... You... Well, I... Father bought it before I was born. I was born in 28, and I lived there. I mean, they had it until I was 22, and they had it considerably before I was born. So I don't, So if I was born in 28, and he sold it when I was... He probably sold it around 1950. 15, okay. Yeah. Or, wow, that's so, so cool. And before then, I came along. Yeah. And then they tore them all down, and that was the end no. of them. Mm-hmm. Some of the best collection of Victorian mm-hmm. houses. 
Yeah, that's really sad. Houses. Yeah. It was just terrible. I really... I'm a lover of restoration. <laughs> well, you would have adored these houses. I would. Well, you're describing mm-hmm. it to me, and my heart is just, yeah. you know, enamored. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank heavens, words at least managed to be saved. That yeah. Because they, they were going to demolish all of that. That was right. all slated was, for the wreck. What did they manage to say? The Wards Island uh, community. It's oh, still there. That, yeah, yeah still which there. was always very primitive. It was always sort of the tank community. It's where, right. where I figured the poor people lived <laughs> because we all lived in great big houses. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually, they weren't. They were the Bohemians. They were the art, arty. Yeah, mm-hmm. And they still you know? are to this day, really. You, you yeah. could say that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I only knew one person that lived on that island, and we went to a, a camp up north in Algoma. Near, near Sault Ste. Marie, kind of. Yeah, that's and, yeah, and it was like a traditional music camp. So I learned how to play the tin whistle. Oh, really? I can still play one tune by memory. Oh. Wow. But I, a friend I had there. There you go. Yeah, you got go a selection. Oh, yeah. I could, I could give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he, the, the friend, the guy I made friends with who also, you know, we played the whistle together. And he, um, they're from that island. And I just remember their family was extremely creative and artsy, and um, mm. it kind of fits the bill for what you're saying about yeah. the island, so that makes total sense. What was her name? All I know is his name was Eli, and I had a little crush on him, so I just remembered that <laughs> right, about him. Right. Yeah, but super nice people. I, I don't know what their last name would have been, but right. if he's listening, now he knows. <laughs> I could not remember names. It's yeah. Just- I can remember their faces, but uh, though that's so interesting. And then, okay, wow, there's just so many, you've lived so many, like, amazing years, I just can't imagine. And so your family that came up to Port Carling. Came- well, my father used to, and that's why he ended up buying a place on the Toronto Island, because he used to come to visit his mother, and he said by the time he got on the train, mm-hmm. got off at whatever it was called, Muskoka Wharf, I think. Then you would have to get one of those big the steamships, yeah, yeah, to over to Port Carling. Yeah. Then they'd have to come and pick him up in the boat. Yeah. And said by the time he got there, it was time to go home. For sure, so yeah. He said his because his warehouse and office were down on Front Street. Mm. He bought a place at Toronto because he could walk to the ferry. Yeah. In fifteen minutes and get be home in half an hour. You and know? you're having a very similar experience, you know, with being out of the city, you're literally facing south, so you're not even facing the city, so I can see the appeal to that for sure. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. You have you wouldn't know you're anywhere near a city once you're at the island. Even when you go to this day, it still doesn't it still feels so magical. Honestly, the what? It's uh, even when you go to this day, like even oh, if you does it, yeah, yeah. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I would, I would have been in the last few years for sure. It's just, um, yeah, it's still really pretty. But well, if you ever go again, get take the Wards Island boat, get off of Wards Island, walk to center. Okay, and you will be passing an area where my house was once. There was for yeah. a while a set of. Three concrete steps, I yeah. think, that were still that there. had led to the led to the you know the walkway to the house. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> I took one picture of you and Tim, remember, in front of the house. Right. Wow. Before yeah. they tore it down. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and I meant to ask too, your family, where were they originally from? Well, my father's family were Stratford, mm-hmm. St. Mary's. Um, what's that other town? That Chatham. No, mother was from Chatham. Oh, yeah, okay, right. Mother's family were Empire Loyalists. Yes. Who settled around Chatham. Yes. And father's family were, I think his grandfather was originally a, a stonemason. 
from Scotland. Okay. And settled in around Stratford, St. Mary's. Okay. So that was... So they, they have been in Canada for a long period well, of time. Well, my mother's family, I guess, a little longer than father's. But I think my great-grandfather came out in 1840, 18. Yeah. Or earlier. Okay. You know. That's mm-hmm. still pretty... Like, that's not very recent, you know. No. For, for immigration, but... Yeah. Okay. So I guess what I'd like to talk about next is um, maybe if we can kind of tell the listeners where we are, the township we're in, and the body of water, and kind of explain okay. the area we're in right now. Well, it's hard. I'm not insanely knowledgeable, but we're in the township of the archipelago, mm-hmm. the township of the archipelago. My island is about 12 miles down the South Channel, 12 miles from Point Pleasant Marina, which is about five miles outside of Perry Sound, I guess. Yeah. And uh, it's about 12 miles down the South Channel, and we're not facing open water, which was a big disappointment to me when I was younger, (laughs) but for which I am quite grateful for now. For sure. Because the advantage of the open water, of course, is beautiful uh, sort of scenery, but you also get the weather. You also need a very good boat. But you're also so close to it from where you are now that, you know, you can easily access it from here. But I agree you're in a much more protected area here. And it just, instead of being able to use the cottage 25% of the time because the weather is so bad, you can use it all the time. That's true. Yeah. So that has been a big advantage. And uh, so that's really all I know about its location. It's that's okay. It's south of Amanda Island. And uh, and you didn't ever name the island, you said. I haven't named the island. No. Yeah. I have never found a name good enough for it. I have thought of many names, but none of them quite are as, quite as good as the ways. island is. <laughs> it's a heavy responsibility. I don't think you could, Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Um, and then I guess if we can describe, since people are listening to this, um, can you describe kind of the layout of your island and the buildings that are on the property? Well, all right. So you can imagine 1.3 acres, or maybe you can't. Uh, it's um, sort of a pudding of an island. It's round. It has a marvelous natural harbor, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, we're great, very grateful for. Uh, our architect, who was very young at the time, 24, said that he would build us a house, providing he had total authority over where it was and what it looked like. And then <laughs> he would do it all for us and help us build it for $400. So I mean, you know, was that? <laughs> oh my was, gosh. <laughs> was either that or, or a... Uh, Pan, you know, what, not a panic. Pan boat or prefab, yeah. Uh, yeah, pre-fab. so your option was either yeah, to... Yeah, so I thought we, we would take a chance at what the hell. Yeah. So he, of course, also chose the site, and he chose the very top of the island, mm-hmm. which at 24 is great, you know. At 94, <laughs> it has the odd <laughs> question mark after, but yeah. still, actually, I don't regret it, because it's a lovely view. And a breeze. And we get the breeze, mm-hmm. and, you know. And it's, it's not all that far. I mean, for anybody who can walk at all, it's fine. So, um, what was the question again? <laughs> oh, I was just asking if you right. could describe the, the property. Right, right. So, Enigo Adamson was the name of our architect. And he had spent the last year of Frank Lloyd Wright's life, I think, 
in his company, along with other students that Frank Lloyd Wright used to take on. And uh, so he had that kudos, which he said was probably slightly misplaced, and as far as he only remembers about Frank Lloyd Wright as having to mow his lawn. But but anyway, he was influenced, I guess, by him. Mm -hmm. And he designed this cottage, and its roof is for hyperbolic paraboloids, which means that each quarter is curved in two directions. And it makes a very beautiful, when, when it was just being built and the roof was first put on, it, it from a distance, looked like a very beautiful Japanese tea house. Mm-hmm. It was very, very elegant. And the house itself is exactly 24 feet by 24 feet. And he built it so that on the diagonal, uh, there are four corner platforms each which will hold a double bed mattress mm-hmm. and allow people. Now, there isn't a lot of privacy over there because the central area is open, of course. But you go up a stairs or ladder and you go through a trap door. And if you look around, you will see each corner can have a double bed, has a double bed mattress. Mm-hmm. They did have it at one point anyway. And so you could, if you wanted to, seep up to. An awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of us very, very cozy. Yep. Very, but it was it was great, and uh, but then my friend Don Ragland, who lives over on Sand Channel, one day said to me, "I am so sick of listening to you complaining about climbing up those stairs to your corner." He said, "I'm going to build you a bedroom." So he did, and that amazing room over there, which the architect would have had hysterics if he'd known anybody was going to do that to his house. <laughs> the purity of his design was besmirched by yes. this, uh, something boy, practical. I'm really grateful for that bedroom. Oh, yeah. Well, so, also describe the windows, how the whole the windows work around the whole cottage. Describe how the windows work around the whole cottage. Oh, how, the windows. What are, I'm not sure all language these, All these, like, just just uh, the sort of the design element of mm-hmm. the of the well, openness and the glass yeah. and everything. Well, what oh, yeah. I'm trying to say is basically it's it's there's 24 by 24 yes. and one two sides are completely many square windows yeah. and four uh, glass doors yeah. and then the other corners have like a window and then another corner has two windows with where the kitchen is so it's very very like it's being in a treehouse it's beautiful that's what it feels like yeah mm-hmm. so you look out and you oh. see all the trees growing up from lower down in the uh, on the island mm-hmm. uh, and it's just the light is beautiful in the cottage. Uh, and you can see out so so much of the cottage. It's it's really really lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's very eclectic, which is my favorite style of design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you have that beautiful like Persian looking rug in the middle, and then um, the I my I love these built in benches on either side under They're, the window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. I saw that was in his original plan, it right? Was, so yes. that was the intention. I'm I assume. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you've got the kitchen in the corner on this interesting diagonal with yeah. um, the table also on a diagonal triangle attached mm-hmm. to the kitchen yeah. counter. So that's yep. really neat. Right. That's right. Right. But then I also just love all of your um, your art pieces you have in here. Like maybe you can just describe the what's hanging up here in your um Well, on, on, yes, on the four um, barriers to the balconies... I have brought from the, when I was spent the year up in Frobisher Bay, which is now a Calloweet, I collected bones. And so I have got 
a set of caribou antlers on one wall, um, a walrus tusk, which is attached still to the skull of the walrus, or at least the, nut, the front part of the skull, mm-hmm. the skull of a female bear, uh, two walrus penis bones, um, a set of... Um, muskox. Muskox. I can never remember that name. Yeah, horns. Muskox horns. Yeah. Uh, Mounted on the wings of a dead raven, which was over by a car. <laughs> sort of a like chimera a of an animal there. I did not hunt nor kill any of these creatures. No. You found uh, these. Oh, and they, of course, the pièce de résistance is the uh, narwhal, half a narwhal spine. That's the craziest piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just keep looking at that there. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. But, and then I have that beautiful wooden goose that was carved by Lorraine Herman's neighbor. Who was mm-hmm. owned a wood company, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who went around the world teaching small industries and small countries how to make money out of cutting down wood. Mm-hmm. He was a great guy, this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love I love his uh, goose that he carved. Yeah. Um, just a quick question. Uh, where the four little lanterns are hanging... One of these things is not like the others. Yeah, uh, what's that? What is that sort of bone structure thing? It's like a skull. A musk. A musk um, musky. Oh, it's musculinch? I'm not sure. Is it a oh, musk? Oh, that. Oh, wait a minute. It's like a mask? Yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah, it yeah. It is fabulous. That is a... What is it? Uh, well, I think it's, it's called a... Not a dragonfish. Is it a musk? A lion's fish, a, a uh, something fish. And I found it down at the beach in... Uh, New Brunswick or Nova Scotia? Oh. Because it looks like it would be big. It makes a fabulous mask. It's huge, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is absolutely stunning. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Oh. But it is a kind of, I think it's a kind of shark. It's like teeth are okay. wicked. Amazing. You'll notice. There yeah, are lots teeth, of teeth in it. Lots of teeth, yes. So I have a feeling it may be in the shark family. Yeah. But it's, wow. Uh, Where did you find the narwhal spine? The, the narwhal Spine. spine. Oh, in Painterton, that's a settlement about three or four hundred miles north of uh, Akalawit and just south of the Arctic Circle. Mm. And I found it on the shore. The other half I could not drag with me because <laughs> that one was still joined by the vertebrae in between. All the ligaments the bones, and things. The ligaments. Blah! And the thing had been rotting there for a long time. <laughs> wow. So would yeah. And I, I as I was dragging it, the first the front of it was on the ground there and the rest was tailing behind me and I had it over my shoulder and the woman I was with kept getting further and further away. <laughs> said, Way forever She said, You stink <laughs> Boy did I ever Oh my god. And I had to cut it up in bits to put it in garbage things to put it on the little airplane to fly back to Painter or to back to Calgary. Oh my gosh. So I'm cutting look at it, it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. my Swiss pen knife. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and they're noted for their thing. Then I had to boil every section. Mm-hmm. And I think I numbered them so I wouldn't get them mixed up because mm-hmm. I took them off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I threaded them back together on a hunk of rope, and they've been there ever since. Because what did you say were the three things that you really liked? You like skulls? I like, well, bones. yes, I've got a little collection of skulls there. Oh, yeah. I love skulls. Skulls are beautiful. Yeah. And I think a seagull skull is maybe the most beautiful of them all so mm-hmm. far. Huh. And um, or loon skull would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, except a loon skull. The black part comes off. It's a shield, so it's left with something that long. 
Okay. Instead of that long. Hmm. So a seagull is not. It's a, I like a seagull. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like I like bones. Mm-hmm. I like stones. Oh, what bones about, and stones. What about shells? I love shells. All these uh, things tell stories. And mm-hmm. I love a driftwood. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I just like anything I can find on a beach pretty well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's really cool. Uh, well, you can see, look, uh-huh. well, looking around here, I'm like, oh, this makes sense because there's some driftwood over in that corner. Mm-hmm. Skulls everywhere, which is yeah. amazing. Shells all Shells. over that corner. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The more I look, the more I see. Stones <laughs> outside. Right. So, and I yeah. love the, the actual, last time I was here, you were talking about how you constructed this building on site and how there were some issues with these posts. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if you could just describe kind of how that happened, like how the building came together. If you well, the building came together because Inigo Adamson and Christian Grotrian, mm-hmm. uh, Inigo being the architect, and... Myself and many, many, many others who arrived and left without things. Um, just brought him, Inigo bought all the material. He went around with the Northern Ontario, bless his heart. Got the cheapest of everything, which is why the walls are all asbestos panels, but totally harmless, you know. <laughs> As long in, as you don't touch them, asbestos. Well, they're even fine. If you touch them. Wait, which walls are? The, 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 oh. You can't from outside. Oh, there, outside the uh, white panels. The white yeah. panels oh. on the all around the second floor. Right, but, as, but long, it, as long as you don't touch them, they are fine. Yeah. Well, they're mm. fine well, even if you touch them. They're, they're they're not the kind of asbestos that's fried and sending no. off little things into the air. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't, they're not. They don't have them anymore, uh, but at the mm-hmm. time that was legal, or they, they produced it. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. isn't something that deteriorates, basically. Yeah. It's a one pretty inexpensive so way to... Yeah, yeah it's in, actually, it's encapsulated in, it's a sort of a hybrid concrete or cement oh, yeah. uh, asbestos. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's very stable. Yeah. Uh, it will have to be disposed of as toxic waste someday, I hope right. not. But Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... And the whole thing is mounted on what are five by fives, uh, placed around the outside of the floor. The first of all, we had to put in a stone, a square stone. How would you call it? Little foundation. Foundation, yeah. but yes, only sort of by eight feet by eight feet with, or six feet by six feet. Right in the middle of right the cottage. There. Right in the middle, and that goes down to bedrock. From that come all the joists from the floors. And that keeps them from rocking from side to side. It stabilizes the house anyway. Then on the outside of the floor joists are the 5x5 five five uprights, which hold the ceiling, which hold the roof. Mm-hmm. We don't have a ceiling, actually, technically. We really only have a roof. Yeah. Uh, with the mm-hmm. uh, with the loft above, really. Well, so you could call it post and beam construction. Yeah. I don't know what you'd call it. It's not it's not traditional it. timber frame at all. I've it's never very seen very non traditional no, post I, and beam, I don't shall we say. That it has a name. And then um so I specifically remember last time we were talking, you said that um the architect had a bit of a meltdown or freak out one day because very briefly oh, he did. Yes, very so. briefly because he realized that he'd um miscalculated the the, um, post. Well, he, he had us cutting out uh, into the five by fives. It took us a couple of days, I think three of us, chipping away like mad. Um, half through the five by fives, so that the 
What are they? These are they eight by twos? Eight. Or even six they're by wider eight, than that. I say by, by yeah, they're maybe ten, eight by three. Three or four. Yeah, nothing is conventional measurement here. Not anyway, one the, the, thing. the beams yeah. holding up the uh, balconies were supposed to fit into this notch piece that we're this notch that we're cutting out. Only yeah. and go misjudge it by about a foot. <laughs> yeah. So had we actually put the beams in there, we would have had been stooping to walk through the place. However, Inigo figured out a way of solving that problem by filling the notches that we had spent ages carving out with another piece of 5x5 five five and running a bolt through that, which allowed an extension of several inches so that the 3x10s, or whatever the heck they are, mm-hmm. could rest on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, versus, and you can see them everywhere. As versus <laughs> fitting into them. How do how do they how do they stay there, Bruce? I don't actually. Yeah, know. it's funny. You can't quite tell how the notching works because it's now hidden. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's almost as though there's probably a lap joint between the two uh, uh, beams that join at a forty-five, and then that allows them both to sit on a relatively modest um, little yeah. pro- projection, yeah. shall mm-hmm. we say, coming out from the uh, f- from the posts. Yeah. And I think they create a really beautiful architectural detail, like you said, right? It, yeah. it just creates a little bit more interest in the structure, which yeah. is yeah. which is yes, cool. Yeah. How to drag beauty from a horrible mistake. From a big mistake. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's, uh... So true. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful place. Like, I love everything about it. Mm-hmm. Everything. Well, I must say, so do I. And when, for all those years, I'd say 58 years, well, 60 years probably, that we only had kerosene lamps. Oh, right. The light, the light in the space at night. Well, it, we used to have at least eight candles burning at mm-hmm. dinner. Mm-hmm. At least eight, if not Kerosene lamps at all, all these sort of uh, these corners else, here, just to. But the light in here was so gorgeous. Just yeah, yeah. I remember just sitting and looking at it, thinking it's the loveliest, and I, that's why I didn't really want electricity. But of course, now that I'm going blind, I can't see the light anyway, so it doesn't really, really matter. <laughs> and how, how long ago was it that you got hydro here? Well, it's funny. The uh, Actually, the, there was a transformer installed here back in the 80s mm. because they were wiring up basically all these islands, and they sort of had to had to make a stop here so that they could get to, uh, to the next island. Um, but we weren't interested in having electricity, so this green box has sort of been sitting there. And uh, so we did when we inquired... So yeah, when we acquired as to well, you know, what would it cost us to get that? It was, it was a lot of money. We thought, well, we're happy with our candles and our kerosene, and then uh, maybe ten years later, we sort of asked again, and it was that amount that they had originally said, plus all the interest between when they had put in the transformer and then, oh. and so it was like triple. And we thought, okay, forget it. You're like, we're yeah. never gonna get. Yeah, it's never gonna happen. And then three years ago, I guess, we, you know, as, you know, mom's uh, vision was getting worse, we thought, you know, electricity would be kind of handy. Inquired again, and we said, oh, yeah, like, how many million is it now? Yeah. And found out um, that back maybe in the mid-90s, they had dropped that whole interest plus scheme. <laughs> right. said, oh, you can just have electricity for the hookup cost. You're like, sign me so, up. All uh, right. Yeah, that's about the best deal I've ever heard of in my whole life. So we got hooked up and we got it wired and here we are. So this we, is yeah. the second year, I think, of electricity, yes? Yeah. 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 And um, I guess 
before that for your fridge? Would that just have been propane? Or well, and it still is. We still, we haven't got around to, we're sort of kind of in the market for, um, you know, a, a, a small refrigerator that fits in that funny little space. Yeah. Because most fr- fridges, of course, are like 18 cubic feet and up. Yeah. Right? And it tall. Will, that thing will take about a 12 cubic foot. So they're actually hard to come by. I mean, as long as it's working and yeah. it's good. Yeah, it works. And... Yeah. It's a bit of a nuisance to set it up and clean it every spring and so on, but it works great. But a few extra cubic feet, you know, for the ice nice. cream would, oh, would be yeah. nice. Yeah, we oh, don't yeah. have ice cream very often, but uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No. So, any more questions? Yeah. Okay. So, just in addition to this island, mm-hmm. I mean, not this island, this structure, mm-hmm. um, you've got your outhouse, and then you also have the bunky down by your swimming yeah. beach, right? Yes. And so, when did those kind of come into play? Cause oh, I don't know the uh, I had guests who came up and helped me open up every year for years and they got sick of the tent so they decided to build the little bunkie oh yeah and uh i think what i did was get the bits and pieces to make a garden shed and they adapted them into the bunkie mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a kid anyway, or something took, you could get took it. katie and ian they thought it would take them a week and then they'd have another they took their two weeks holiday and they figured they'd have one week to build it, another week to enjoy it while they were Still hammering the last day of their holiday, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but and I forget what year that was. Nineteen ninety four, because there's a little handmade wooden sign yeah. right on the outside of it that says nineteen ninety four. How cute! Why it took so long was that it was it was like a kit, right, for a yeah. garden shed or whatever. Well, it, it was all I had were the joists. All I had were the ceiling things to fit the. Oh, okay. That's all. So then you bought the plywood but, and the yeah. and the two by fours and, the, and, and all whatever. the windows came from the dump. Well, the, and that was why it took a long time, yeah, was because it had all the these funny in. shaped windows, and so so everything had to be adapted to yeah. kind of fit fit the windows right, yeah. in there. Custom made, right? Custom yeah. windows, custom made just for you, right, yeah. just for the windows. And I guess you don't. Do you have a a plum plum toilet here, or do you have like we a have comp- compost? You have the composting. Yeah. Very large composting. And that, enough, I think we're all tell. that structure, I believe, was built by Timothy, our brother. Yes. yes. And I will say, it's got one of the best views when you're sitting down. <laughs> Oh, uh, to look at it. seem to somehow. They do. Mm-hmm. They really do. Mm-hmm. And so you must have had an outhouse this whole time, right? The whole... We yes. had, yes, we did. The shed. Mm-hmm. Is the the original the one. And it was a pail a day. And we had a yeah. septic tank. Yeah, there were septic oh. tanks in behind. Yeah. So do you still have those? And before those, that, or? it was an outhouse. Well, the, no, no. The, the metal tanks are still there, but thankfully they're slowly <laughs> rusting into oblivion. Another nice. another couple of generations and it'll be they'll be yeah, all another gone. Another hundred years and they yeah, should be they'll, gone. They'll be gone. Except for the fiberglass that I kept bending them with. Right. <laughs> oh no, yeah, that'll last. Steel, yeah. yeah. Right, and so now the composting toilet kind of takes care of itself, and mm-hmm. um, that yeah. makes sense. Okay, yeah, because yeah, you you kind of run into septic issues on islands. Obviously, you either need a septic tank or yeah. you need a septic yeah. bed if you have enough soil, the area for it to like leach back into the right. ground. But Which is hardly ever the case on these islands, well, right? Well, we have a septic bed because on the island we're on, it's like um, a butterfly shape. Mm-hmm. And we're right in the middle of this oh, like yeah. pinch of the butterfly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it's called an isthmus. That middle mm-hmm, pinch point. Right. Yeah. So we have like the front and the back of the bay. But I think I need to fact check the history but it used to be an area where logging horses used to go through so wow. i think they did do logging out here because wow. i've heard about that yeah wow. so when you were saying if this 
area had been logged, I think for mm, sure. That's probably why, yeah, there was fewer trees here, say, back in the 50s or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And even, um, yeah, so I was going to say with the septic tank, like the area we're in is very, um, there's like a lot of grass and it's it's kind of like the valley between two okay. hills, kind of. Yeah. So we have this beautifully beautiful big septic bed and great i mean it's great because you don't really have to yeah. worry about it it's yeah good capacity but yeah. um yeah there's lots of stories of people having to haul in the material for their for their septic field yes right? Bar- barge in just yeah you know, well tons the island of stuff. the island that way to the south of us mm-hmm. um which i've forgotten the name of the robs no the mclaren's the one that's oh. really like across us right right, um, right they spent the whole summer putting in septic tanks. It was really, it seemed to be the whole summer and it was the most enormous job of digging earth out and putting things in and putting things back. And it's Mm -hmm. a very flat uh, bunch of grass Mm -hmm. and now they mow the lawn, which is really funny. Oh, I know, I know. And you've got grass too, which is just the weirdest thing. The thing about septic fields is they don't last forever. Mm. That's a sad part. They They have a specific lifespan at which time they basically become saturated or plugged or whatever and then and then you have to either find another nice area and it yeah. sounds like you guys might wow. be okay with that wow. yeah or you dig it all up and you replace it all whereas yeah. with a composting well, I have to replace it surely it's good compost by then oh well yeah you can do that with it you can do whatever you like with but it still has to be dug up because it's it no longer absorbs or accepts anything right. new uh whereas with a composting system it will go for 10,000 yeah. years. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's it, so neat. Yeah. Yeah. And you get your compost out of it. You get your compost. One year, <laughs> one year Tim was emptying the com- the compost, you know, and it's totally composted. You, you turn the wheel and it comes out as soil. And along with it came three Actually, $20 that was bills. Me. That, that's, that's, that's my story. <laughs> three $20 bills? Yes. Well, one of our, uh, you know, a, a couple that comes up here every year, and, and they're the ones <laughs> who, who built the bunkie. The ones who right. built the bunkie. Uh, somehow, Katie... Um, Ian gave her 100 bucks. Yeah, he gave he her f- yeah, five uh, $20 bills, you know, to pay $20 her for something. Bills. And they were, the, fortunately, this was in the modern era, and so they were the kind of new plasticky kind. Yeah. Anyway, so she loses this money. And she's asking everybody if we've seen this well, hundred dollars all over the island, every square. That, that's right. She was, and she it was a real crazy mystery because it had just vanished into thin air. Well, two years later, I'm uh, I'm sort of cranking the composting toilet. Oh, it was you? Was it? It was me. That, that's right. I'm and sorry. Uh, and then because you fill up a little bin and it's beautifully composted stuff. I mean, it's there's just nothing to it. It's light and doesn't smell or anything. What is that in there? Kind of dig into one of the little kind of balls that comes out, and wow, it's a twenty dollar bill. Oh, look, here's another twenty dollar bill. Oh my god! <laughs> and eventually, all five of them emerged, yeah. uh, and somehow, I don't know how she. Well, she had... stuck them in the back pocket of her jeans, and when she was taking her pants down, they obviously all fell down the compost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. But she and didn't see perfect, it go. Perfect. Shape. Yeah, nothing wrong with them. Did you return it to her? Yes, we did, and she and, and it was funny because she and I I didn't charge her a commission or anything, and she wanted <laughs> she wanted that hundred dollars back. Did you she know? want interest on it too? Well. Yes, that, that would have been very <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's hilarious! Yeah. Wow, that's a great story. Our compost at twenty. Well, I'll tell you, those twenty dollars bills came looking as if they just came from the mint. Wow. Yeah. So whatever the plastic they're making yeah, them out of, it's, it's good, good stuff. Whereas had stuff. it been paper, would have been I, gone. Yeah, very well yeah, composted. My God. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. 
Um, so I guess what I, we've been talking for a while now and yeah. I, I don't want to, um, tire you out too much, but, um, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I did want to speak just a little bit about kind of what cottaging means to you and kind of, um, throughout time, you know, what your lifestyle was like up here and how you socialized and, you know, well, I was, I kept journals from about 19, what was it? 68 through till now. And Bruce has been reading me some of the journals back really? in the 70s and 80s. Oh, and that's... honestly, it's incredible the amount of um, uh, socializing that went on around here. Yeah. I mean, I had maybe half a dozen or a dozen, at the most, I'd say, 68 friends. Mm -hmm. But we saw a lot of each other, it seems to me. I was always either feeding them or they were feeding me. Yeah. And I always had friends up. Many, many friends would come. And visit, and I was amazed at how they got here. When we didn't have a phone, and they had no means, we would arrange in June when they were coming and when they're going to be there. And in the middle of August, I'd go in, and there they'd be. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's it was amazing. Kind of spectacular. Yeah, you could write, but then you had to write to the Perry Sound Post Office. So yeah, because so. you would receive your letter at yeah. the post office because you wouldn't have had a no, a mailbox no. here. So. So anyway, uh, somehow it worked, and uh, so I had many guests up here, and what this place means to me is, I would say, aside from my children, I would think it's the most important thing in my life. Aww. What are you, where are you going? Oh. <laughs> Just showing this, this is the uh, magnum opus wow. of George Bay. There's all the journals. Yeah, I'll take a look after. No, you won't take a look, believe me. <laughs> no? Just, well, I mean, Just forget the, it. There's so the much. It would take a while. I wanted to, can I do a quick flip? Sure. I just but can't believe really... how much you've written in there. Wow. Well, yeah. When well. did you start doing those, Mom? Well, I, I Ruth started reading. I, yeah, 68 was the first wow. year that we know of. There may have been some informal writings before that. I don't but, think uh, so. I don't think I... I think while Chris and I were up here, I didn't do it. It's when mm -hmm. we broke up, I think. Right. Uh-huh. And so it'd be in the 70s, I think. And I may have tried to catch up for a few years to oh, see right, what happened. Right. But, uh, yeah. Hmm. But anyways, yeah. So I guess if there was anything you could tell the listeners about being here... Like about your local well, area. I think, yes, I can tell the listeners that this is the place that I love most in the whole world. And that I do think, no matter where I went, the Italian Riviera, <laughs> the, I, Greek, the Greek islands, I would think, oh, it's just so beautiful, but not quite as beautiful as Georgia Bay. And that's my feeling about the place. And I have come here every summer for 62 years. I may have been forced to miss one or two, but I think only one summer where I missed it entirely. Mm. So no, it has been, it keeps me going all winter, thinking, aha, I will be able to spend two months in the summer. And I remember thinking, it didn't matter how desperately poor I got or how awful the place was that I had to live in Toronto, as long as I could get up to Georgia Bay. Wow. So, but I have been fortunate and as far as places I've had to live in Toronto were not that bad. Yeah. And, but uh, that's really how I felt about it. If I had the two months up here, mm. that's really, really what uh, I kind of lived for, I think. Yeah. Uh, although the rest of my life was very enjoyable and full of fun, etc. Yeah. I really have loved, loved, loved Georgia Bay. So, and thank you, Georgia Bay, very much. For loving me back. 
Oh. <laughs> I think your sentiment is carried amongst everyone or a huge majority of people. Yeah. Maybe not everyone, but um, I feel exactly like you feel. Yeah. No matter where I've traveled, because I've I've done quite a bit of traveling as well. Like I lived in I lived in New Zealand for a year. Oh, did you? I lived in France for two years. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, and the whole but even the whole time I was there, I was like, yeah, this is really beautiful, but yeah, but it's not quite Georgian Bay. <laughs> no, so it isn't. So I think we have had the advantage of living in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Oh, the most yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Summers here. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about this island is, so it's a bit of a pudding, and it doesn't have the great sheets of smooth rock that you may get on some islands. <laughs> it has got so much character because every 20 steps or so, you're somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, here you are looking at one aspect of Georgia Bay, and this, and then, but then you walk on a few yards, and you're looking at something entirely different. Yeah. But equally, it's beautiful. So... So that's um, more or less how I feel about it, which is very strongly. Me too. <laughs> Me yeah. too. And that'll just, you know, carry on generation to generation. I managed to get down here every year really? for decades. Yes. Because yeah. there's always this little, like lingering threat slash promise. This could be the last year. Oh. I think that started in the 90s. Oh, and, my gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, I'm. You know, I'm 94. I do not expect to live to be 94. Take my word for it. Yeah. I mean, I remember thinking, gee, I hope you live long enough to see Hallie's Comet. And I think it was only 75 then. Yeah. <laughs> That's nearly 20 years but ago. But I remember thinking, yeah. when I was younger, I think, gee, I'm probably not going to be alive when Hallie's Comet comes around. But of course, I was still just what I now regard as a kid. <laughs> but Hallie's Comet was such a disappointment. It was a bust. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Heartbreaking. Well, you've answered all my questions and more. So, (laughs) again, just I'm just so grateful to meet people like you guys because, yeah, you really encapsulate the feeling of this area, which is just so important to me as well. That, um, yeah, it's just uh, I think it's great to be able to record this and allow other people to to hear your stories too, and so they don't get lost anywhere. Right. So. Well, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I would love to listen to other people's stories. Yeah. Well, you can. You can. We started the other day. Oh, did you? We we got going. Going. We didn't get too far, but uh, we'll we'll keep it up. Yeah. There's. I've got lots. Lots more planned and recorded. So there's. Yeah. So many. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting, but um. Is there anything else at all you'd like to share at all? Mm-hmm. Um, any, well, I'm sure there is. But. <laughs> well, part of the what makes Georgian Bay great is the swimming. Yes. I must say that is uh, what, what you kind of dream of in those long Canadian winters is just getting into this beautiful water. And, uh, and all your cares, you feel all your cares just washing away, and you, rinsing away. And you do have a beautiful swimming spot with the flat rock. You can almost just dive right in there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the water in Georgia Bay is beautiful. It's just so clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And down, down there, well, anywhere, but that's where we swim. When you're swimming underwater and you're looking, it's just this beautiful jade green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say we're probably, we can probably wrap up the recording because mm-hmm. you've answered... Yeah. All my questions. That was wonderful. Um, In a mere hour and a half.
Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this story, please give me a five star on Spotify. I would really appreciate it. It really helps um, me continue the podcast and keep it going. And if you would like to support this podcast, please follow along to patreon.com slash rewind design. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash rewind design. If you would like to support the show in other ways or share your own story, please send an email to Katie, k-a-t-y at rewind design.ca or give me a call at 416-822-7489. Your donations help to run the podcast and costs associated with recording equipment and travel. 10% of all donations will be donated to the Georgian Bay Land Trust. Thank you so much. Your support means everything.